But today's a very interesting topic. It's called, I titled this The Jesus People Perspective. Or it could be The Jesus Principle for People. Mark 6, 33 to 36. And I want to start off by showing a picture. A picture, first of all. And this is a picture of a baseball game. Because Grandpa and Grandma, Paul and Grandma, took, took, uh, took us to the Mets-Yankee game. It was at the Mets Stadium. And it was, a, it was a Subway series. And they took us to a Yankee game this week. And even Jim is holding up the J for the Jeter. Do you see that? Even Jim is holding up the J, Jeter. So uh, Kim took the picture. We were all holding this sign because we weren't under hostage. So this is what Jim did. He's, there was two Mets fans bought tickets for all these Yankee fans. You know, we took 10 of the kids and, and Kim and I. And, and, and then he bought us all food, lots and lots of food. And then he even paid off the Mets to lose the game for us. That was a really nice thing that he did for, for the team here. But uh, we, had a, we had a really, really great time, and it was a lot, a lot of fun. But what was crazy is when we were driving into this game, the, the traffic was not that bad, I guess, what Jim was saying, for, for, New, for New York standards. But I was like, why, do, why would people want to do this every day, drive in this traffic? And, and then we get out, and there's fumes and noise, noise, noise. You know? And uh, it was just, it was crazy. And I was thinking, how can people live here? I'm so glad I live in New Hope Sober, you know, and I have my creek, you know. And, you know I, I just am so happy that I live there, and I was just thinking that. But, and, and, and I was even starting to feel like a little claustrophobic. Well, a lot claustrophobic. I can't wait to get out and escape from New York, you know? Is there a movie? Anyways, escape from New York. But, but then a funny thing happened as I was in this mob and in the game and all this. I started to look at people and see them for individuals. And I started to think, wow, every person here, this crazy number of people here at the game and in New York and everywhere you go, every one of, this is, every one of these people is an individual with spiritual needs. And I started looking at them, I wonder what they're going through. Or I wonder if they know Christ. Or wouldn't it be great if they're all showing up to hear Billy Graham speak at the stadium, you know, you know, an evangelistic talk. And, and it started, it changed the way I was looking at people. And this is what this passage, I hope, does for us. Because Jesus gives us a lesson on how we should view people. Now, they just finished this big mission trip, first mission trip. They're exhausted. Jesus takes them away from some R&R, gets the CDs. If you missed the last couple uh, uh, sermons, because it's, it kind of flows, it will flow here. But we're going to see that even though they're trying to get some rest and relaxation, the mob follows them. Can you imagine, Jim and Diane, you're trying to drive out west, and, and we all follow you out west. You know? that, that's what it was like. They're just trying to get away. And, and, you know, and the, this mob is following Jesus and the disciples everywhere. But let's see what Jesus' response is like versus the apostles' response. Let me pray first. Father, we thank you for the chance to worship and to listen to the word and to pray and just to refocus because it's so hard to stay focused. Keep our eyes on Jesus and, and let the spirit fill us and move through us. It's a constant battle for every one of us. Life's pressures and our own internal struggles and sins we just pray that your holy spirit would speak to us we ask for your mercy and grace to touch our hearts this morning in jesus name amen okay i'm going to read the passage first of all in mark chapter 6 jesus feeding the five thousand the apostles gathered around jesus and reported to him all they they had done well i'm going to skip up to 33 here but many who saw them leaving there recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. 
When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them, all, directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men... Who had eaten was 5,000. So we're going to focus on this the next time I'm here, two weeks from now. We're going to focus on the feeding of the 5,000 and the whole miracle. And something just jumped out at me, the, the green grass. I'm going to find something interesting on that one. It reminds me of Psalm 23. Take a look at that. Um, things kind of hit me here, here and there, even during a sermon. So, so we're going to look at the miracle and the feeding next time. But today I want to focus on the difference between Jesus' perspective and the apostles' perspective, the attitude toward ministry. Do we see people, people in need, do we see them as an, a problem or as an opportunity to show Jesus' love? How do we see people in need, our kids and people in the church and people in the community and people, strangers, even at the Yankees-Mets game, do we see them as a problem or an opportunity to show the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to read, just going to do these three verses, 33 to 36 today. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So, we have Jesus, a celebrity. He's a celebrity. The mobs are following him. They, the paparazzi, wants to get his picture. And, and now what does he do? Does he try to evade them? Does he punch the camera? No. He does, look how he handles this mob and the popularity that he's experiencing. The one word that jumps out at us is, but Jesus had compassion. The word that the way Jesus added to toward these people in need was compassion. Jesus' perspective, he saw people in need, and he saw this as an opportunity. So what did he do? Look what he did. He began teaching them. He began teaching them. His first priority was spiritual. Spiritual. He starts by changing hearts and minds. He knew that had to be the, his priority here in his ministry. Yes, he did feed them. We're going to see that in a couple weeks. We can't ignore physical needs, but our first priority must be spiritual, not the social gospel. A lot of churches and denominations have moved toward the social gospel. Let's meet people's needs. Let's meet their needs. Let's meet their needs. And, and uh, that's really the weakness of the social gospel, is that they, we meet 
these churches and denominations meet physical needs, but they never get around to the gospel part. They never get around to the spiritual part. They never get around to the gospel. And, and I see a lot of these churches and denominations, and, and it makes me think when they're committed to the social gospel but not to the gospel, what good does it do to give people medical help but not the gospel? One is temporary, one is eternal. What good does it do for these churches and denominations if they feed people or give them water, but they never share the gospel with them? What have they really done for them? They've just fattened them up and hydrated them for hell, right? They've done nothing for them. It, it, and that's what exposes the weakness of the social gospel. And that's why these denominations and churches are dying that are committed to the social gospel, but they're ignoring the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's our power is the gospel. That's the power of it. Now, Jesus saw people with the eyes of compassion, and he saw their physical and spiritual needs, and he met both of them. Both of them. They're both very, very important. So we're going to get back to how he meets their physical needs in a couple weeks. But the apostles had a different perspective. Jesus had compassion. The apostles had a different perspective and a different game plan. In verses 35 to 36, we see their game plan. What was their, what was their if Jesus had compassion, what were the apostles? Cold-hearted. <laughs> they were cold-hearted. The apostles' perspective is, these people are a pain. Get rid of them. And we joke, I'm, sometimes I'm at a pastor's meeting, we kind of joke sometimes. Uh, you'll never know exactly what we say at pastor's meetings. But, but, uh, but one, of the jokes we, one of the jokes we say is, ministry would be a great job if it weren't for the people. <laughs> That's kind of a, a pastor's joke. But anyway, um, now everything, everything that they said was right. Everything that the apostles said was true. It was late. They were in a remote area, and the people needed feeding. They were hungry, right? It was, they, they, everything was, was true, what they said, but their solution was all wrong. Send them away. That was their solution. Now, before we jump on the apostles, let's look at ourselves for a minute here. You might know somebody like this. When we see somebody in need, what's our first response? What's our first response? You see a homeless person begging along the road in New York, What's your first response? Oh, I'm so glad I brought extra cash today to help this person. <laughs> no, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Don't look. Don't look. Don't make eye contact. Or uh, someone at church needs help. Oh, I'll be right over. Or oh, I wish I could help, but I just need some downtime. Uh, the kickoff's in five minutes. Uh, or somebody in the community has a need. What is our response? Oh, I'm so glad I found out about this so I can help this person. Or is it uh, they need help again? Or you get that late night phone call, and you know it's somebody who's who's needs your help. Do you answer the phone? Oh, I can't! Quick, answer the phone! Quick, quick, quick! They're calling again. Or is it? Don't answer the phone, kids. Why, why'd you pick the phone? Tell them I'm not here. Nobody here was. Nobody here would do that. You ever see? You ever see Diary of the Wimpy Kid? The the mom says you, it's always important to tell the truth, and then. The, the crazy lady calls who wants to talk. Yeah, well, and so she says, tell him I'm not here. He goes, the boy was like, oh, I would never not tell the truth, mom. So, so then you see it's raining and the mom's outside looking in the window. And, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Whatever. My mom's not in the house right now. So, you know, so, you know, but, but how do we handle that? You know? or, or I'm not here. I'll, I'll call you back tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes. Our response is usually a very human one, isn't it? 
It's called self-centered. We try to avoid. We resent infringing, infringing on us. It reminds me of something that happened to me one time. I, I was at a church in Connecticut, and we had two houses right on the church property. Mine was real close to the church, and then the pastor, senior pastor's house was like one house over. So people... When you have a building, people come looking for handouts, money, and, and they would often come in. Now, some people really had a need, but most of them were scam artists. They were just scamming. They were just using it for bad things. And it was always tricky because you had to say no or you had to discern or, or if the person really had a need and you felt like, oh, I need to give them some food money, you had to go to the store and buy food with them because you don't want to give them just money because they misuse it. And so it was, it was kind of a pain, and it happened on a regular basis. But one time, one time... <laughs> The, the, a guy came at night, and he was there with a kid with him, and, and it may have been legit. I wasn't sure, but he came, and he said, and he comes to the door, and he knocks, and I'm like, right away, I know he's going to ask for money. I didn't know it right away, but, but he didn't. He said, oh, is your dad home? Because I was a youth pastor, and, and I was about 27 or 8, and I looked like I was about 17 or 18 at the time, and so he thought I was the pastor's son. I said, oh, no, my dad's next door, the next house over. <laughs> a few minutes later, there was the senior pastor walking down the road <laughs> to the store. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I enjoyed it. I was, I was, see, I like it too. None of us, we don't like to be bothered, right? And, but isn't that what we're like? And even churches can be like this. That same church, remember, we started an inner city ministry. We call it Intermission. And we didn't know what we were doing. I just had this burden for the inner city, and a lot of people, a lot of the people I was working with did. So we started picking kids up and bringing them back to church, and we did, ran like a one-day VBS every week. We did it, uh, this VBS. We had pizza, and we had games, and we did the gospel, and we did all kinds of things. But it was, it got crazy. We, we, I had, we had this old Greyhound bus. It had about a million, it literally had about a million miles on it. And we'd drive down with a Greyhound bus, and we'd park it near the ghetto there, and, and, Kids would come up, and they'd start piling in. And I'd say, did you ask your mom? I don't know where my mom is. You know, they just pile in, pile in, pile in. They literally didn't know where their parents were. They'd pile in the van or the, the bus, and we would, we, would, we would pack them in. They were, like, sitting on top of each other. It was, like, everywhere. You know, this is before they had the same safety laws. And uh, they were just piled into the van or to the bus. And then some kids went and get in. It was like Noah's Ark. They're banging on the window, crying and upset and mad. So then we start having vans come. We have uh, the bus and a couple of vans. And we bring these this mob of kids back to this suburban church. And some people didn't like that. Uh, they, they, they didn't like that. Many, they freaked out. This is dangerous. You're bringing crime. We're going to have things stolen now. And some things were stolen. And they're going to destroy the building. And some things got broken. And, and there's too many. You can't make a difference. You know, what good? We're just teasing these children by showing them a different life. And, I mean, I heard it all, right? Uh, and we're, we're too big. We're, we're bringing hundreds of kids in every week, right? You know, to, into this, this suburban church. And we had a gym. And, and they were, we're too busy to help. I, I'd like to help you, but we're too busy. Because, you know, Jesus was not that busy. And uh, uh, he had all that spare time. <clears throat> Let the government do it. But, you know, the government doesn't share the gospel, obviously. So I finally, I heard all this stuff, and we had this mob of kids, and I finally challenged the church. They gave me the pulpit one night, and they made a mistake. And so I, I uh, and I challenged him. I challenged him with this passage. I remember challenging him. I said, listen, look at Jesus' compassion and how he handled these lost sheep. And if we as a church can't feel compassion for these kids... Who can we feel compassion for? 
these kids were, most of them were abused and had scars and it was unbelievable. They were abandoned. A lot of them didn't even know where their parents were. They were living with a grandmother. They were, they were scared. These kids were scared. A lot of them were so angry. And when I get to the bottom of their anger, they were just scared. They were constantly running away from someone going to beat them up or hurt them. They, they, were, they were running scared. And they were really lost sheep. And I challenged our church that these are lost sheep, especially spiritually. They knew nothing about God. Nothing about Jesus. They, had, they thought Christmas was really just Santa Claus. They thought, you know, they had no concept of the, that there was a God and that there was a Jesus. You talk about a mission field. And the church responded. They really did respond to it. Not everybody, but a lot of people responded. I got volunteers. We started pairing them up with kids, and we started having them fill out registration cards. We started, we had to do it. We had to, you know, really do it that way. And, and we started getting volunteers to pair up with them, and a lot of parents would take kids in the teenagers we had a bunch of teenagers coming to the youth group they started to take them in and, and kind of like adopt them and and the kids really responded to the love of jesus christ it was wild how many accepted christ and, and grew spiritually and they ended up after i actually left they actually ended up planting a church in that area to try to keep reaching these these kids but the church really responded to this tremendous need that was right on our doorstep it was just like a couple miles from from our church what about New Hope Community Church. Will we have will we be known as a compassionate church? We've been very loved. I gotta say, this has been a very, very loving church. We haven't even had to program it. It's just been supernaturally natural here. But will we keep that soft heart to those in need? Will we keep our outward focus? That's why I wanna don't want a church building. You get a church building, it becomes inward focused. That's why I love the idea of having a long-term lease with a school, and which we're still working on, still moving forward, looking good. But but because then it keeps us from becoming inward focused, it lets us keep our outward focus. So many churches start out with with a soft heart, with compassion, church plants, reaching all kinds of people, and then then they get inward focused. And they lose that compassion, and they start to see people as a pain, and they die. There's a life cycle to churches. You can actually study it. Well, I, I really pray that we won't go that way as a church, that we'll keep that soft heart to, the, to those in need. How is God speaking to us as individuals? Not just as a church, but as individuals. Will we see people for what they are as lost sheep? Lost sheep all around us, everywhere we go. You're at the store. Lost sheep. We're at work. Lost sheep. We're at you know sporting events. You know the kids' games. And 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 and, and opening our eyes to the tremendous needs there. And and at school, you're at school, and, and all around there's it's these. Will we see people that are have needs and, and lost sheep? We see them as a pain, or this person's you know bugging me, or are we going to see them for for what they are? They're hurting, and many of them, the meanest ones, are just scared. I learned that from intermission. The meanest ones are just scared or upset about some. Will we will we share the gospel and share our lives with them? In First Thessalonians two eight, Paul says something really interesting. He says, "We loved you so much." That we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Will we share our lives with these people? Will we share the gospel with these people? There, there are so many opportunities if we would just keep our eyes open. Tremendous opportunities. The Relay for Life coming up. Wow, what a chance. You put a blue shirt, you put our shirt on and walk. People see that we care about the community and love the community. Even if you don't have any money to give. You want to give money, fine. You want to help with cooking, whatever. But just show up and walk for an hour with a shirt on. It says something. Come to the Roberts game. Robert was a huge part of our church uh, youth group. 
you know, huge, huge leader in the youth group. But we want to show our love for the family, but we also want to show our love to the community, that we care. And that's why putting the shirt on two days in a row and showing up with that shirt, a huge impact. The youth group, they're planning a trip where we are, they may not know it, but we're planning a trip to Philly for them this, this summer, five days down in Philly, working with the inner city kids. And, and we need you as parents to say, it's okay. They're going to be okay. They're going to be locked in a gym somewhere. You know, they're going to be okay. But also, I need some parents. You're really worried about your kid? Come down with them, all right? Come with them because we need some adults to take a day or two days overnight to spend with the kids down there and, and to be leaders for us because Dave and Megan are leaving. But we're going to need some, uh, some help for the summer with that. <clears throat> also, we're talking about doing an Ocean City trip. Uh, the boys taking a trip and the girls taking a separate trip down there to help Chuck with the witnessing. Once again, we need parents, some adults who want to go on and out to the boardwalk and help them witness. There, Chuck says there are so many people, there's mobs coming to him. He can't keep up. So many people. We're not getting in people's faces, he said. They're coming to him, lining up. Hundreds of people. He can't keep up with them all. We're going to send some teens down and hopefully some adults down to help with that. But there's so many ways if we just keep our eyes open. Some other opportunities. I put something in the bulletin this week. It's called Kids Peace. Kids Peace. They called me and said, would you please share this with, with your church? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. It's called Give Kids a Chance. Give a Child a Chance. And it's about foster care. They, they are really in deep need of foster parents for these kids that don't have families that are stable enough. But what a tremendous way to impact somebody as a foster parent. Huge, huge need. Uh, all the inf contact information is there. You know, contact and really pray about that. Uh, also, another thing is adoption. There's, there's a lot of children out there that, that need adopting, especially, especially special needs children that need adopting. Uh, I know now that we only have a, our baby now is four, and, and uh, our kids are like, well, we can have another baby. I'm like, well, we're not, you know, uh, although Kim would have loved to have more. She's, I love the babies. I miss the babies. So I, um, I'm okay with it. But anyway, the... Uh, because I'm old. So anyway, but, but now they're starting, all the kids are like, we want a baby. We never had a baby. We never got the experience. You know, and they're all talking about babies. So, well, let's adopt a baby. And I said, well, maybe someday we will. I said, let's do it now. Well, well, see, it's kind of expensive. If you're going outside of the country, it's expensive. Well, wait, if someone were around here and needed adopting, I, I think we really would seriously pray about that. But and be very, very open to it. But right now, it would be probably too expensive for our family, you know, because we have all you guys. Uh, so, so Emily said, you know, Emily, uh, who's six, going on 60, she said, Dad, sell your fossils. I go. <laughs> now, truthfully, a lot of them are worth money, but I've been giving them away to museums and stuff. I haven't been selling them. But, uh, but I said, I'm not, I was just joking. I go, I'm not giving away my fossils. I love my fossils. She goes, that's selfish, Dad. You know? And uh, she said, come on. I go, I don't care. I love my fossils more than I love children. You know? She goes, you're so selfish. And we're going at it. And, 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 uh, we're, and obviously, I would, in a heartbeat, trade the rocks for a child anytime. But I'm, but I'm not going to give in. I'm having fun with Emily. So then I got an idea. I said, why don't you sell your chinchilla? And she goes, I'm not selling my chinchilla. I go, selfish. Yeah? And you care more about that chinchilla than you do a little baby out there somewhere. And, and I was going, and she goes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get another chinchilla and have babies and sell the babies. 
you can't beat Emily on anything. Now Kim's in panic mode, you know. <laughs> so anyway, but really, how do we think? What would we give up? What would we sacrifice? Time? Something? Something that we like, enjoy, infringes on? What would we sacrifice for a baby or, or for people? What, 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 is, what would God speak to us? Another that way that we can impact, I want to end with this, is uh, there's something called the relief bus that Kathy Delabadi is part of. And there's a mission field right there for us. And she's down there all 24-7. We're going to start off with a video, and then I'm going to have her share a way that we can help people in need. The very inconvenient people. You want to talk about inconvenient people? These are the most inconvenient people in the country. Nobody wants them, right? Let's watch this. what love was. I didn't have like a hug or, or someone tell me I loved me like my like my dad never gave me that. But there was a void inside of me. Uh, there was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of pain that I didn't know how to cope with. Um, and I felt so lost. And I remember my brother um, sexually abusing and molesting us and putting us into a dark closet and threatening us with a butter knife that he would kill us. And this abuse um, ran on from the age of seven to 13 years old. I was so angry that he threw himself from the roof because I wanted to tell him why was he doing those things to me that I started indulging in heroin and cocaine. And as the time progressed, I started putting a needle in my arm and I did it like for two years. And the reason I found myself just going more deeper and down the spiral of drugs and alcohol was because I was looking for some type of, some type of relief. That was the only way I could cope. Like when I took the drugs, it just made the pain go away. Right down the street from this place, there's a methadone program, which I was in for 23 years. And one day I just came out and I seen the relief bus and they would come here every week. And when I was coming, I came for two years, and all I did was come for the soup. People gave me um, toiletries because I was prostituting on this strip right here on 125th to 124th. And I was like hopeless, and I was dirty, I was smelly. And they would give me clothing and toiletries. So really, for the first two years, I just came to use the things that I could benefit from. But I met a girl named Johanna and a woman named Monica, and they started talking to me about Jesus. And these women, they opened their heart to me and gave me that love, and they gave me their kindness, and they gave me the understanding. And one day, uh, Johanna told me that there's a Heavenly Father and that He loves me and that He was my Father, and that if I want to receive them into my heart, and that day I decided that I wanted to know who this Heavenly Father was. And I want him in my life and I needed that change. I needed that change to come to my life. Here and when I woke up and I looked in the mirror, I didn't know who I was. I was, I was like, who is this woman? Because I was sober and I didn't know from 30 years of just being drugged up 
and abuse. I didn't know how to like manage my life, but with the help of Johanna and the relief bus, I just kept coming and I started meeting new friends, Christian friends, and started going to church. And that's how I got into fellowship and gave my life like completely to God. Three months into giving my life to the Lord, I started volunteering for the relief bus. And I volunteered with them for five years until I met the new church that I go to called Metro World Child. And now I'm a volunteer worker for the Metro Ministry Children's Sunday School. And I've been serving the Lord for eight years. And if it wasn't for the relief bus, I would not be right now here telling my story because I know for sure that I would have been dead. And today they continue to still come to this, this same corner twice a week to reach out to the lost. And I just want to thank them for that opportunity of coming into my life. everybody. Um, I'm really here for a couple of reasons, two things. Uh, the first one, um, I want to thank my Lord and Savior for the cross, and I want to thank God for his mercy and grace. My friend Delia, uh, her and I are good friends, and uh, my story is not too different from hers. Some of the details are different, but uh, we have a lot in common, and uh, God's grace and mercy can change all that. I just want to give him all the glory and thanks. Um, the second reason I'm here is to say thank you uh, to this church. Um, about a year and a half ago, I was offered an opportunity to become the financial administrator at New York City Relief. Um, it meant a lot of changes in my life. I uh, was trying to commute back and forth to their main base in Elizabeth. Uh, for about three months and it got really really crazy so I now live there during the week and I come home on the weekend so I can come home see my friends at church do what I have to do with my family uh, but really uh, when I entered into this journey I had absolutely no faith that uh, it was all going to work out because everybody that works at the relief bus is an urban missionary uh, we're offered a small housing allowance and a monthly stipend but for the most part we all have to raise our own support. And uh, really being new on my walk with the Lord, um, I, I, Chuck baptized me in 2008. I really kept, all these voices kept coming into my head telling me that I wasn't ready to do this um, and that it would be impossible and that, no, 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 I can't ask people for money. So I fret it and basically um, really had to get out of the way of myself uh, to just see what God would provide. Um, for the most part, what God did was uh, he did a lot without me even having to do anything. Um, so uh, right now, today, I'm about 95% funded. I'd like to just thank this church because 50% of my monthly commitments have come from some of you folks. 70% of my one-time gifts have come from this church family. And what that has allowed me to do is I'll be able to stay on for another year. I have enough to be sustainable through May, and I'm edging towards closing the gap on the extra $170 I need a month. So um, I just want to thank all of you. Um, God in, is indeed awesome, and I, I'm not standing here thanking him for this opportunity that he's put in my life for me because it's nice and it gives a 
53-year-old woman something to do with herself. Um, it's just, I'm, I'm honored and humbled to serve him, and I want to give him all the glory. Um, and I also want to tell any of you that aren't familiar with our ministry, uh, if anybody has any questions about it or wants to know how they can support it or get involved or even come out on the bus, a few folks already have come out and are actually coming out next week. Um, it's really awesome, and it's a great opportunity to uh, really get the point of what Chuck was talking about, is that we're all God's children, we're all individuals, and sometimes when we look at people that we think their stories are really different from ours, or their lives look different, or in, in, with some of the folks we serve, in some cases they, they smell, they stink, they're not sober, um, you know, just an opportunity to get them on the holy ground in the back of our bus and give them a pair of socks and a hygiene kit and ask them if they need prayer. That's our opportunity to love on them. And uh, God's going to do the rest. So I'm going to continue to trust, and I just want to thank all of you for uh, letting us show that today. And uh, God bless. So, yeah, you want to take a ride on a bus? Talk to Kathy. It's a, it's a ride you won't forget. I guarantee it. So, and they, anytime, they're out every day. So, let's pray. As we go this time of prayer, how's God speaking to us? To our church? To our youth group? To our families? To each one of us? How is God speaking to us? We're going to see next time how God can do amazing miracles, can move in powerful ways. But the key is our, our attitude, our spirit, how we see people, people in need. Are they a pain or are they in pain and they need our help? They need the love of Jesus Christ. As we're praying, who is God calling us to reach out to? Could be the last person we want to reach out to. Last person we want to reach out to. Could be someone that really bugs us or upsets us or scares us. Maybe it's even a call in our life that God has put to reach out to a full-time call in our life to the orphans. Maybe it's sacrificing something that it's ours. We want it. We like it. But God's calling us to sacrifice something so that we can touch other people with the love of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's our time. And as we're praying, each one of us praying and talking to God, maybe you're here today and you are the lost sheep. Maybe you've never come to God as your heavenly father and given your life to him and put your faith in his son Jesus. You're the lost sheep. We've all been that lost sheep, every one of us. But you don't have to leave lost. Because in John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can have eternal life. And eternal life doesn't start when you get to heaven. It starts now starts this, the moment you put your faith in Jesus. That's when life, real life starts. And it goes forever. 
right where you are, just say, God, I, I ask you to forgive me for all the sin in my life, all the ways I've turned away from you and turned to other things to try to meet my needs or to dull pain in my life. Anything that goes against your word, I ask you to forgive me. I'm giving it up. And I put my faith in your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for me in my place. I put my faith in him. My trust in him, my hope in him. I give my life to you, God. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and keep us soft and keep our eyes open. Let us see everyone with the eyes of Jesus Christ, with eyes of compassion. Pray this in Jesus' name.